Jazz vocalist Janice Siegel may be best known as a founding member of the multi-Grammy-winning vocal jazz group The Manhattan Transfer, but her remarkable solo career has spanned over four decades and continues on even more potent than ever. Her latest releases delve into the genres of country music and Yiddish folk songs with a jazz twist. Right now you are hearing the track Slow from her 2014 album Night Songs. Janice was kind enough to sit down and talk about how she remained creative during the pandemic by producing her online salon, The Vocal Gumbo. She also shares about meeting her musical hero, Ella Fitzgerald, about producing, writing, and performing, and how excited she is for what's yet to come in a career that's already one of epic proportions. Janice is so sweet and funny and impressively grounded given her fame and stature in the musical world. Please enjoy this conversation with Janice Siegel. Hi, welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Janice, welcome to The Playful Musician. Thank you so very much for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me, Steve. I think this is the f- possibly the second podcast I've ever done, besides the Manhattan the Transfer su- ones. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm so honored. <laughs> I've, uh, I was uh, exposed to you early in, as part of the Manhattan Transfer. My, my siblings sang, and I sang vocal jazz in college, and we here at Southern Oregon University... We did a lot of uh, your arrangements in the. We had like a bigger group, and then we had a smaller group, and and so I've I've uh, followed you and your career for a long time. That was back in '85, I guess. <laughs> so uh, you're an inspiration to me and to um, countless others, I'm sure. That um, countless others. Countless others. <laughs> yeah. Impossible to count. How? Right. Impossible to count. So how, first of all, how are you doing? How is, how is this past year 
been for you? This past year has sucked in so many ways. Mm. Um, Our industry has disappeared, virtually uh, disappeared. Mm. Um, All work was canceled, postponed, or postponed. Uh, I was was at the beginning of a very long tour, which got canceled immediately. With which group? Manhattan Transfer. Okay. Yeah. Um, And we were booked through the summer, and we had quite a lot of work, a lot of work. So that's Mm. all been canceled. And um, honestly, I don't know when things are going to be sort of relatively normal, but I think our first gig is in September, which is a makeup gig uh, for the Detroit Jazz Festival. And we're also playing Moab Music Festival. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you've got some stuff in the fall that's on the Yes, book. and so then it'll ramp up to October and then December. We're hoping to go to Europe, uh, back to Europe, but we'll mm-hmm. see. But I must say, in this past year, I mean, I mean everybody has, has reacted differently to this crisis. Yep. And yeah. uh, my first thought is, how am I going to live without singing with other people. Mm. (laughs) I've done it all my life. I've worked all my life. I've been working since I'm 17 years old. And then to suddenly stop, it was a gift in a lot of ways. And I tried (laughs) to look at it that way. Uh, The first thing I did was figure out a structure because I thought I'll Mm. be lost without a structure. It will just be an amorphous mess of snacks and Netflix and, (laughs) you know, forget about it. Right. So I, I put myself on a schedule. I reinvigorated my yoga practice, uh, meditation, you know, because there were some scary, it was a scary time. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. I was here with my son, thank goodness. So there mm-hmm. were two of us. Uh, I, I felt very compassionate to people that were alone during the beginning of this this mess. We had a president yeah. who did not acknowledge the virus, so that yeah. was bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, to say the least. <laughs> to say the least, and um, it just seemed like, I mean, a a world pan. Crisis. I, I know. Yeah. I haven't lived through that. So, um, the first one of the first things I did was to make sure I could sing <laughs> with mm-hmm. other people. So, um, Lauren Kinnan, my my dear friend, and Alto from the New York Voices, uh, and I started an online virtual version of our monthly music show here in New York, and we we called it Vocal Gumbo, mm-hmm. and. Th- we have been, that has kept me busy. It's been like it's been like <laughs> producing a TV show from my home every month. Right. So that has kept me incredibly busy, incredibly stimulated. I learned mm. how to use my studio finally because I I was always on the road and I'd come back and I'd forget everything. Sure. So I learned how to use um, the technology that I had available. And uh, started recording and doing videos from my home and broadcasting from my kitchen. So right. that has been a and blessing. A, yeah. And you're a cook also. You like cooking. I do like cooking. Well, that has also kept me sane. And I really have improved, I think. Um, 
in, in some ways. First mm. of all, I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, I think we were going for comfort food. That's mm -hmm. what we were going for. We couldn't go out that often, really, so we had to make one shop count and sure. reuse, start to reuse and reimagine things. And so that was, I find that creativity sparked through limitation. Right. In, in, in general, so I, I will say that in general. So, yeah. But yeah, I've been yeah. cooking up a storm, as ma many people have. You know, I, sure. belong, I belong to a, face group, a Facebook group called uh, Cooking in Quarantine. Fun. And, yeah, I enjoy to see. I enjoy seeing everybody's um, recipes and what they're coming up with. Right. So, do you do you know drummer Clarence Penn? Have, have I ever... do. I do. He's a cook. Yeah. Yep. Yes, he's a cook. Also, he was on the show, and he does. He makes some amazing food. I told him he should he should write a cookbook for right. for musicians. That, that's really that's. Why? A, why I've just heard that musicians? A lot. Right. Well, I mean, like music and cooking somehow. Well, like, they're they're you know, very connected. The they're very very yeah. connected. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> so, how soon did Vocal Gumbo the online edition start? Was that like in April or May or May? I think start? May was our first. So it took us from March to May to get it together to create a structure. So we, we Lauren and I invited a third partner because a triad is a strong unit, mm -hmm. right? Right. Uh, and yeah. um, our friend Lori Green joined us. Lori is the Manhattan Transfer's road manager and is okay. quite quite the organizer, uh, networker, you know, third partner, uh, emotional support person <laughs> yeah. and the three of us created vocal gumbo and figured out the technology lori figured out the technology to broadcast what would be the best thing and we tried a bunch of different formats with and we realized also that it wasn't just about the music during this mm -hmm. time but it was about talking about what was going on emotionally politically Socially, you know, everything, because there was so much going on during those first uh, few months. Yeah. So we created yeah. actually two formats, a talk show and a uh, and the music show. Right, right. And they're produced monthly or several times monthly. a month? But the, uh, what happens is, well, right now we have a Patreon campaign as well. So we do special oh, events. Sweet. For our Patreon people, we just had a coffee clutch today. We talked about Ella Fitzgerald's birthday, oh. and um, we had we had met, there are musicians and DJs on in Patreon. So we had a, quite a spirited discussion about Ella and what makes her great and what our favorite things were and some memories. You know, because I've sung with her with the transfer. So and she's my idol, wow. also by the way. Right. So we, we had quite a, quite a nice coffee clash. But we have a happy hour for our Patreon mm -hmm. people only. And then we have a happy hour for um, the public that's promoting the music music um, event. Right. You know, so, and we invite nice. special guests for that. Right, right. When but, did you first... Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, no, it's all right. But we've addressed <laughs> a lot of social issues in these happy hours. Black Lives Matter... Um, you know, mm -hmm. women in music, uh, 
and you know the certain uh, the, the election. You know, people need to talk. Yeah. Needed to really talk about these things. Yeah, the mental health. Is super mental important. health has been an issue. <laughs> right, right. All that's been magnified this past year. It feels yeah. like. Yeah, exacerbated. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. When when I wanted to ask, since you brought up Ella, when when did you first meet her? Do you remember first meeting her? I first met Ella. I think we were both booked for this TV show. And it was really weird. It was something like the Rock Awards. I don't know why either of us were on this show. But mm. we were there, and I had a brief encounter with her. But um, the transfer has, has worked with her, you know, on certain festivals. And also, I had the incredible experience of actually going to her house. Oh, and wow. And hanging out with her for about an hour or so. Um, very, very special to me, special memory. And, um, wow. yeah, she's just, and we did, the transfer did a show, uh, she, you know, Ella had a heart condition. So she, she yeah. was, uh, did a, we did a benefit for the American Heart Association around Valentine's Day called Hearts for Ella. Mm. And Ella was in the audience and it was sort of in dedication to her. Uh, but, um, yeah. so we, so we did that and I, I, I have, I've had a few experiences with her, all amazing. She was humble. She was down to yeah. earth and she was brilliant. I mean, just yeah. an incredible singer, sweet tone and gorgeous, yeah. I mean, rhythmic feeling, you know. <laughs> Do you have a favorite album of hers? Well, that's like asking if I have a favorite child. <laughs> You know, or a favorite dish. Not a fair question. Not sure. a fair question. Do you, how, how how about, do you remember the first album you heard her on or first time you heard probably her? Probably Ella in Berlin, I'm guessing 1960. Mm -hmm. The live record, yeah. uh, you know, things like uh, Mac the Knife, How High the Moon, yeah. um, Gone with the Wind mm -hmm. uh, was on that record. But some of my favorite cuts, I mean, it depends what period, but I love... Uh, for instance, I Remember You, which is from the Mercer songbook. Mm -hmm. um, everything she did with Nelson Riddle, some of the early stuff, Sing Me a Swing Song. You know, you can, I mean, just from the get, she was incredibly yeah. rhythmically, talk about a playful musician, rhythmically playful. Right. Um, yeah. And although a lot of that stuff was novelty, novelty tunes she just sang the crap out of them <laughs> right did you i know you, from um some other interviews you listened to a lot of am radio in your youth and was there a lot of jazz on the radio at, during that time uh you know it, radio was very eclectic then mm -hmm. so there was kind of a little bit of everything a lot of the great american songbook a mm -hmm. lot of that mixed in with the Beatles and mixed yeah. in with pop m music. There were, there was Frank Sinatra. There was Edie Gourmet. Mm. There was Nat King Cole. Yeah. Um, there were international hits from around the world. There were instrumental things. 
I remember Paul Moriad and his orchestra had a record called Love is oh, wow. Blue that was really popular. Sukiyaki was, was popular. So I heard everything. I didn't get mm. into jazz. I wasn't planning on being a musician, first of all, as right. a career. Right. Uh, but You were going to be a nurse. I, I was going to be something with the, in the sciences because yeah. it was that's what was expected of me, first of all. I mean, mm. although I've been singing professionally since I'm 12, my parents never gave me the impression they wanted me to be a musician, particularly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you know what? In those days, um, there wasn't. You, you sort of had to go to the cl- the classical route first. Sure. It was there weren't the these very detailed and extensive jazz uh, courses and and courses of study mm-hmm. that there are that exist now at places like Oberlin and um, Berkeley certainly and although probably Berkeley existed, but I didn't know yeah. about it. Uh, so anyway, I wasn't planning on being a musician. Right. But, and was that even a, like were young women, I mean, you were in a, a group of young women that sang, but was, that must've been a possibility for the three of you to think about. And not all women I would imagine in that era would have even considered that that could happen. Like a nursing would seem more like a, okay, that's, that's a career path that's, you know, attainable. Yeah. Well, you know what? We, um, we really didn't even give it a second thought. This is just what we yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't linger on it too much. Like, oh, we shouldn't be doing this. We played our own instruments. We wrote music and we recorded mm-hmm. and, and we did our schoolwork and we went to dances and we <laughs> dreamed about, you know, boys and yeah. we played baseball in the street and we did all the other things teenagers and kids do uh but we also had this other life (laughs) and um it it was incredible i i i mean and it was the age before social media and and documenting everything on in pictures and on your phone so it just lives in my memory basically with a few pictures Mm. to to lean on but um Getting back to the early music we listened to, I mean, I, I didn't get into jazz till high school, and that and it was purely listening pleasure. And I listened to instrumentalists mainly. And I and did who that. Who introduced you, know, you to that? Like, did you just find it on your own, or did someone introduce um, you to those records? Uh, my one of the ladies I sang with, um, she was going out with a trumpet player from the school jazz band. And okay. he played a bunch of things for me that I really liked. And that sort of set me on a path. We listened to Pharaoh Sanders. We listened to Monk. We listened to Coltrane. Mm. That's where I was at. Wow. And uh, I remember as a high school graduation present, I got a hi-fi, a portable hi-fi <laughs> where I could play vinyl. And the first two records I bought were um, Blues Bash, Kenny Burrell and Jimmy Smith. And I bought Switched on Bach. Ah. Walter Carlos, I believe, who is now Wendy Carlos. Mm. Uh Why those two albums? (laughs) Well, I don't know why. I mean, I I ended up loving Blues Bash. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. But I I was fascinated with the idea of, of... of synthesizing cl- this classical music 
too, and you know, doing something else with classical music. So right, right. You know, and then I I'm I'm a record collector at this juncture, and I have a lot of vinyl. But that was the beginning of that. And of course, yeah. you know, when I went to college, Abbey Road came out that year too. So I was mm-hmm. way into that <laughs> as well, you know. Right. That was a la- 1963. That was a landmark year when the Beatles came and it seems like everything changed from yes, that moment on. Pop music changed for sure. And there was that whole British invasion. Right. Yeah. I was way, I was way into that. Loved it. And Motown was a big, big, big influence and, and listening pleasure for me and dancing pleasure. Right. Right. Oh my and God. You've... Such great music. <laughs> yeah. And was, I mean, the Beatles, they harmonized and harmony has been a big part of your career. And that must've, I mean, among many others, I'm sure that they influenced your love of harmony. Yes. Not, not really the Beatles, but yeah. I mean, I was always looking for incidences of harmony in pop music. <laughs> you were on the lookout. I was on the lookout with Mamas and Papas, uh, The Seekers, The New Seekers. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I'm, well, I mean, much, much later, I met Tim Hauser and my mind was completely blown apart by listening, really deeply listening to The High Lows, The Four Freshmen, The Mills Brothers, mm-hmm. The Boswell Sisters, you know, and on and on, and The Modern Airs, The Mary Max, The Signatures. I mean, I, I, w- I went full, full bore into harmony groups and singing. But yeah, I was, I was always attracted to harmony. And my group, at age 12, we were singing harmony. We were singing three-part harmony, nice. just instinctively. <laughs> Sure. But nothing was written. You know, it's you take the melody, I'll take above you, and you take the bottom part. Right. <laughs> it was all instinct. Yes. And, th- and that's important, too. From her country and western-inspired album, Crying in My Whiskey, let's listen to some of the title track. His memory And where do I 
This next portion of the interview was interrupted by some wonky internet connections. And we enter in as Janice is describing how she met Tim Hauser and what led to the beginning of the Manhattan transfer. Picked up our conga player. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds made up, but it's not. So then Tim and I started hanging out and he would come and sit in with my group. And he mm-hmm. played the banjo. Banjo. Then, and um, so, he, yes, he played the banjo, five-string banjo. <laughs> he yeah. Was, yeah, he was an old folky as well. And then I started hanging out with him and seeing his mm. record collection. And and then we met Laurel Massey, who he also picked up in the cab. And the three of us started to think that there was this whole my this whole story vein of American music that was not mm. being mined. That was, we, we just loved it and wanted everyone to hear it. So we thought we'd sing it ourselves and we try to infuse four part harmony into right. everything. <laughs> we did. And Alan joined soon after Laurel sort of brought him in. And, um, and that was the beginning of that. When I heard four part harmony, <laughs> my, the top of my head blew off. You know, because I had been singing three part, and I thought, "Oh, four part—that's what I want. Right. That's what I want to do." So when you guys sang four part harmonies together, that's was really magical for you. Yes, magical, totally magical. Yeah. It's a vibration, and it and it and it affects the singer as well as the right. people listening. Yeah, that the, the vibration definitely—it's all about. That's what music's all about, right? The vibration and how it touches. <laughs> That's what life is all about. True. Very true. <laughs> you guys, the transfer was so popular. Like, did you get, were you guys embraced by the jazz community at large or was it kind of split or how were you guys received? <laughs> in different ways. <laughs> in different ways. In the beginning, we were part of the New mm-hmm. York underground scene. Basically, we were wild. We were being dressed by a woman from the Coquettes, mm-hmm. Tim's sister, Fayette, and Tomata Duplenty, her her partner in arms, and um, and we were doing all of these underground clubs and events. And um, I would say we only really began to be embraced by the jazz community when we right. did vocalese. So not for a while, yeah. not for a while. <laughs> we were wild. Eclecticism was where mm. we lived really. So you'll, you'll have an album like pastiche, which our third record, which had four yeah. brothers, a Gorgeous. beautiful piece of vocalese with John Hendrick lyric. Uh, but we also did on a little street in Singapore. And we also did, you know, uh, some pop things that the record company forced on us. <laughs> and we also did, I did in a mellow tone as a, as a, as a yeah. dedication to Ella. And, um, but we did things other than, especially our second album was not jazz oriented at all. It, it was Richard Perry produced. And although we did have a version of Poinciana with Michael mm. Brecker on it, um, it, I would not say that it was a jazz album right. by any stretch. And when you... We were also called a blast from oh, the racist no. past by by a uh, oh, an interviewer. Harsh. <laughs> it was it was a headline in the Village Voice. It was harsh. <laughs> it was harsh. 
What? I, well, I don't even know how to respond to that. That's like crazy. That's crazy. That's okay. Yeah. Just take it in. Yeah. So anyway, the, and we looked at all of it as as sure. as as good right. as fine. Right. We just kept doing what we, did, we so were doing. When Boy from New York City came out, and that was, I think, like number four on the pop charts. Like it was way up there. It and, was way way up. Yeah. It was right. Top 10, what? Uh, how? What was the impact of that? Like, what changed when that hit the the top ten charts? Well, for us, it made everything <laughs> a lot easier. <laughs> I'm still right. singing "Boy from New York City." <laughs> you know, and you know what? Honestly, it's a great I song. still love it. It's so fun. It's a great song, and it reminds me. I mean, I loved that record mm-hmm. by the Ad Libs. Growing right. up, I loved it. Was that the first one that you really heard? So, like the single that you just started hearing on the radio most often. Most often, I'm imagining. Well, actually, Chansons Amour was a huge oh, record wow. in Europe. That's kind of like launched mm-hmm. our career in Europe. Again, right. not a jazz record, but it was number one in in the UK. In did well in France, in Germany, in Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we had a couple more hits in right. Europe. So much so that we were considering moving right. there. Which probably <laughs> wouldn't have been a bad idea. Yeah, jazz is is <laughs> a lot more embraced, it feels like, in Europe than the States. Yes. It is. Be- they look at it for what it is, an incredible yeah. American art form. Yeah. And then when did the great when did the band move to LA? What time when was that? We moved to L.A. F- because we got a TV okay. show on CBS. That was 1975. Right. And how how was that move for you? I mean, you grew up on the East Coast. Was that... I, I can only imagine. You were ready? I was ready. I, w- I was ready to move. Yeah, I was, I was ready to move. I mean, I, I was enamored with the mm-hmm. California dream. I mean, the name of my group mm-hmm. was Laurel Canyon. Right. <laughs> Because, you know, Joni Mitchell was our idol and, and, you know, we listened to the mamas and papas and we listened to the the birds and we listened to all of that eagles and the California music that was happening then there. And um, it was it was really like a paradise to me, the beach and the mountains and and, um, the palm trees and Beverly Hills (laughs) and the movie stars and what. And I could have a little house and maybe a mm. plot of land. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was. Um, we were ready to move. What part of? And and you know what, L.A. was really exciting then. There was a lot. That year mm. was pivotal in in music, in politics, in film. Yeah. In Los Angeles, exciting. Nineteen seventy four, seventy five, something like that. Yeah, there were a lot of great. Well, I I remember the the Tonight Show band was full of like amazing. There was a lot of amazing musicians, studio musicians and jazz musicians in L.A. A lot, and they all lived <laughs> in the San Fernando Valley. And uh, yeah, you had some insanely great musicians out there. And yeah, Johnny Carson scooped them up because he was a jazz fan. He really was a jazz fan. Right. Yeah. 
So was right. Steve Allen, of course. Right. And Bob, I don't know if Bob Newhart was or not. But I just try to think of all those. Dick Cavett. All yeah, those yeah, yeah. Uh, Dick Cavett. Dick all Cavett. Those great talk right? shows. Um. So vocally, I want to talk about vocalese because that you mentioned earlier that was a pivotal one, just from the your peers in the jazz community, but also I think that's just. That that record will go down in history. I think it was a landmark record for a whole host of reasons. Um, and I'm curious, like, what if if you could talk about what, like, or if if you can't even say, like, what made what made that experience or that album so so unique, so special to come together and and be so successful. Um, I honestly don't know what made it so successful. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Okay. Hold on a second. Um, there we go. But for me, it was our real bonding mm-hmm. with John Hendricks. And I felt that it was a way for us to truly move forward the art of vocalese mm-hmm. singing, which we all loved and adored. And it was so challenging and so engrossing because we couldn't just um, rehearse, write an arrangement, rehearse, go in the studio and record it. We had to shed this stuff. It was no joke. And we went out on the road with John and he critiqued us (laughs) after every show. So he'd do a breakdown of the shows for you guys? You know, for a while. Well, he would, he would listen to the st- the new stuff we were doing and critique uh, and then we ah. went in the studio you know we can't we no one can afford <laughs> to do that anymore so you to- wait think. a minute so you toured the mu- the material before you guys recorded it we did okay. a few shows we did a few small shows and right. then we went in the and studio and you but you also i think you rehearsed many many months Rehearsed fought, we rehearsed six months. It took six months to get the record together because lyrics had mm-hmm. to be written, first of all. Then I wrote a lot of right. those vocal arrangements. So I had to get together with John and we, we went through the <laughs> deciphering of right. them. <laughs> uh, and I learned about his thought process mm-hmm. and how he worked as a lyricist. And the great part was he's also a, he was also a singer, right? So he never wrote anything right, he singable. couldn't sing <laughs> particular. Yeah, I mean, the way he wrote lyrics were, were very singable. He knew what, what syllables and consonants right. would, would flow on a fast mm-hmm. phrase, for instance. Uh, what do you think of that? And get a load of what I tell you. Something, right. A phrase like that. You know. You know, it was all colloquial exactly. language, so it it kind of flowed yeah. much easier. Whose um, conception it was? Of, who came so up with the, the conceived? He conceived the idea for the album. And Tim, Tim fought for this record. Our <laughs> record company, even though it was headed by Ahmed Erdogan, who was a huge jazz fan, they did not want to do this record. They did not. And Tim fought and fought with Amit and screamed and yelled. And finally, Amit relented and it won, you know, was nominated for right. 12 Grammys. Only to be rivaled by Thriller, I think. 
That's, That's amazing. Right. And we're, we still do a lot of those songs yeah. today. What were those? Yeah, they do endure. They endure. What, what were those rehearsals like? Did, uh, who, le- who, who, led, who leads those rehearsals in the, that situation? You did. I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we rehearsed a cappella. And did you, re- and did you record those sessions? No? no. So you wouldn't no. listen back to them. You just knew in the moment, no. like, we need to work on the balance here or the pitch here or... Yeah. It, it, well, it was, it, it's a very, it's a painstaking prog, uh, yeah. process. You know, learning the parts, everyone, I mean, nobody really had yeah. a home studio then. <laughs> True. Or any, you know, it was very rudimentary. Right. You had a cassette a player maybe. Yeah. And you listened to your part. You'd listen to your part over and over in the car or something. Uh, this is L.A., remember, right. so you spend a lot of time in your car. But we'd get over, uh, we'd get together around a keyboard, and each person would go over their part. And then the tenor would sing with the soprano, and then the bass would sing with the alto, and then mm-hmm. three people would sing, and then, you know, two people would sing again, and then four of together for four bars, right. and then... You know, and and discussions about uh, breathing and syllables and right. cutting off and how you many, know, that kind of thing. How long was the typ- typical rehearsal last? I'd say three hours before everybody got <laughs> crazy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Three, three and a half hours, maybe. But we were we were all in the same city, so we were. It was you know we rehearsed That's five amazing. days a week. And and wow, <laughs> that's how you get it done, and that's how you sing around one Was mic. Was that album recorded around one mic? Yes. Wow. M- yes, sir. <laughs> uh, Except sure, for leads, sure. of course. And then we doubled. Oh yeah, it. <laughs> that's right. I yes. So I had to stand <laughs> on a box. You were the short because one because I'm short. And then we would mark our places with tape where we were standing, and all we need, and then we take a little run at it, and all we need more tenor. Mm-hmm. Okay, Alan, come in. Uh, okay, we need a little less space now. Okay, to move back. Okay, now let's right. take it. Wow. Which was um, curious on the on that album? Which was more difficult for you, Ergen or or Joy Spring? Those those seem like two incredibly hard. Pieces for you, particularly. <laughs> for for me, particular, uh, I would say Ergen. Yeah. To me, Joy Spring is mm-hmm. like Bach. You know, it just makes sense mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, it's like sure. a cycle of fifths um, right. sequence, and the story. The story is so freaking beautiful. You really got that right. The average person isn't bright. Not so bright that they recall the fatal right. fall. About, it's John's right. philosophy. Yeah. Uh, about yeah, many beautiful. things. But the joy spring, the fountain of pleasure within every person, the eternal right. soul, the, you know. And you got to do Clifford's beautiful. solo. <laughs> I did. And I'm grateful for it. I'm a better person for it. Yeah. And um how 
how did you meet Bobby McFerrin and how did he get involved in that project? Um, I met Bobby because his manager was my, okay. is one of my best friends. Uh, but I met Bobby through, I met Bobby through, through John, John Hendricks. Because he, he was part of John's group okay. for a minute. It was, it was an incredible incarnation of the group, of, of John's group. Um, it was Michelle Hendricks, his daughter, who is a mm-hmm. monstrous singer. Bobby, uh, John, and Judith singing soprano. So I met Bobby when he was still a little mm-hmm. bit unformed and just coming out of maybe singing, you know, at bars on yeah. playing piano and singing. He was just sort of developing that technique of circular breathing and doing all yeah. the octave jumps. So that's mm-hmm. when I met Bobby. Yeah. But it was Cheryl's idea to do Night in Tunisia. And she had Bobby McFerrin in mind for that also? or Yeah, she did. She did. Wow. She constructed that. Yeah, that I remember hearing that track and it blew, kind of blew my blew my head off. <laughs> like it was like. And then we did a video for it, which was right. really really fun. Was that? Oh yeah, videos the MTV era. <laughs> yeah, you had to do them. You had to. Yeah, you know. <laughs> he came here actually. He came to Ashland with his first album. That was the first time I saw him. And that was amazing. He played piano and yeah. sang Sightless Bird and some. Sightless <laughs> Bird. Oh, my God. And then mm-hmm. um, I think the next time I heard him was on vocalese. Like, I was like, oh, my God, there's that guy, like, doing the body percussion and the vocal gymnastics. It was, like, crazy. That's, yeah, amazing. And then you worked with him a few more times after that, right? Yeah, well, I was in, um, I was on his record, Circle Songs, and then I was a member mm-hmm. of Voicestra for a while. Yeah. So that was a masterclass <laughs> every night. That's a, be- yeah, those were a beautiful recording also. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What do you think has kept, so the transfer has been together almost 50 years, and what, like, that's... Yep. That's unusual for a band to stay together for <laughs> Yeah, I do you think, think? <laughs> like you've been together longer well, you know, way longer than you have not been together. Um what do you attribute that yeah. to? What longer than yeah. most marriages. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how what how what to what do you attribute that longevity or that uh, the ability for you guys to stay together? <laughs> I I think it's the desire to stay yeah. together. It's it's uh the desire to be in something that's greater mm. than yourself. Yeah. It's a family. I mean, I know that's a that's a cliche, but you do get into the family dynamic and you see the best and worst of yeah. each other. And yet you stay together. Because what you're doing is is um, mm-hmm. important work, I think. And it's something that's greater than right. yourself. What you're creating is a fifth thing. 
Yeah, I get that. <laughs> There's no secret, really. You just have to want but it. But you guys, you almost, were there times that you almost parted ways, like may, maybe when uh, membership started to change or where you guys contemplated? Well, yeah, there were, there were the first, the first crisis was mm-hmm. Laurel's car accident. And then we had to decide whether we wanted to stay together um, and yeah. replace Laurel. And we decided to do that, and we were encouraged to do that from Biometer again. And we found Cheryl, thank God, uh, through a mm-hmm. series of auditions in Los Angeles. And that was magical. You know, we knew, three of us knew within 10 minutes mm. that she was the one. Mm. You know, but, you know, like any like any other relationship, we have, you know, people <laughs> threaten to quit and yeah. there's bad vibes and, and being on the road exacerbates everything. You know, being away from from your family, you know, spouses, mm. partners, whatever, children, um, and being tired and jet lagged and underfed and blah, blah, blah. It, it makes sure. things worse. So what, what about her in those, first, like, what was it about her that you knew right away? Like, okay, this is the person. Uh, f- well, her, the way she sounded in the blend, mm-hmm. first of all, and her energy, her energy, mm. her enthusiasm, her spark. Nice. Her personality. I mean, we knew that that was an important part of it. This, you got to be with somebody, you know, that's going to mesh with the group right. mentality. Right, because you're going to be spending a lot of time with this person. <laughs> you betcha. And especially you, because she's going to be the the other female in the group. I imagine. Yes. You had a big say yes. in that. <laughs> yes. I did. I did have a big say. Well, everybody had sure. an equal vote, but sure. Yeah. Take a listen to Jobim's Photographia, beautifully sung by Janice. <laughs> Soon the bar will close for you 
interest in latin and brazilian music where did that where did that all start for you ah well i think it's only natural if you're curious about music i mean especially Mm. with me living in new york city which is such a melting pot of cultures yeah i mean i've been hearing latin music on that am radio there was mm-hmm. there was uh, Joe Cuba, you know, there was Larry Harlow, um, mm. you know. The, there's a lot of of uh, Dominican, Puerto Rican, Cuban presence in New York City. Sure. And um, but I really started to get interested in it. I think uh, I I had a few a few uh, chances to to dip my toe. And it just led me to be more and more interested in it. I I sang on um of a Latin uh, Stevie Wonder project. Hmm. I think a long time ago, uh, Frank Cologne, who was our our um, percussionist for many years, asked me to sing on this record, and it was deep. <laughs> I had to I had a little little trouble on that because it's a whole different way of feeling yeah. time. Yeah, Latin music. Latin music is about uh, no downbeat and everything yep. on an upbeat, and it's that's the excitement of it. And it's also a dance music. It's mm-hmm. d- directly connected to the dances <clears throat> and a h- deep, deep history, um, and and a lot of it uh, emanating from Africa. So. Yeah. That's a whole education. And Brazilian music, I don't see how any jazz musician can't be into, <laughs> isn't into Brazilian music because it's just so fabulous. I mean, actually, one of the first albums I ever bought was Joao Gilberto and Stan Getz live at mm-hmm. Carnegie Hall. So oh, I wow. became familiar with some of that repertoire. And, and mm-hmm. I would imitate it. I would sing along. Feel, yeah. feeling that feeling Joao Gilberto's time <laughs> is sure. is an education in itself. No kidding. And I just started listening and listening more and more and getting deeper and deeper into it. And um, I have a, a a Brazilian group now that I'm a part of called Hequinchi Trio with mm-hmm. uh, an actual Brazilian from Bahia, <laughs> Nani Assis, my friend, good friend, singer and mm-hmm. guitarist and percussionist, and John Martino. Jazz pianist yep. from Philly, <laughs> and me, and uh, we have various people that play with us. But uh, I started to learn Portuguese to sing, and that's a whole nother level of yeah. getting into the music. So yeah, how did you? How did that? That was that your conception to start that group? No, no, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> who started it? Nani, I think Nani decided okay. thought we should make a record. Three uh-huh. of us. No. Nice. 
Yeah, it's really, really fun. I love it so much. Vocal Gumbo is going to feature a new piece uh, by Hikishi Trio uh, uh, for this next episode 14, which is going to air April 30th. Awesome. And if you want to get tickets, you go to our website, www.vocalgumbo.com, and uh, tickets are $15 for that. Okay, that's the end of the month. It is. Nice. That, that'll be Usually exciting. Usually they're at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, and then you just, you had some, um, so Crying in My Whiskey, that came out <laughs> just recently, right? Yeah, also a Yiddish songbook. Right, the Matzel. Let me, let me hear you say it. Come on, matzel? you know this word. <laughs> Didn't you ever at a Jewish wedding or a bar mitzvah? No, Come mazel, on. mazel, mazel tov, mazel, mazel tov. tov. All Yiddish. Good, how did that? How did it that? It means good uh, luck. Okay. Yeah. How did you? How did that come about? Again, not my idea, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was John DiMartino's idea. Yeah. He's just full of these ideas. Um. Well, you know, I grew up surrounded with Yiddish phrases. I'm from New York. Mm-hmm. Everyone in New York speaks Yiddish to some extent. <laughs> you know, that guy's a schmuck. Or, you know, what a putz. Right. <laughs> no. Our language here in New York is peppered with these phrases. Peppered with Yiddish, yeah. Yes, peppered with Yiddish. But I um, I grew... My family would speak Yiddish a bit mm-hmm. when they didn't want us to understand what they were saying. And... Um, <laughs> It was a way for me to delve more into my heritage, really. I mean, I am Jewish, and um, this music is an amalgam of Hebrew and German. So it's mm-hmm. actually easier to sing, much easier to sing than Portuguese or French or Italian, because it doesn't, any of the Romance languages, because it doesn't involve an accent per se. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier. Japanese also is easier. I find. You speak but Japanese? I don't speak Japanese, but I've sung in Japanese. <laughs> you sung in Japanese. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, um... When was Mazel... Re- when did you guys record that? I think I have a copy right here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 2020. We fi- it was a pandemic record. We finished it during the pandemic. Yep. Remotely, or did you, were you able to go into a studio? Mm, I we mixed it remotely, and uh, I think in April, oh no, in July, I went in for a day to just uh, do some edits and finish a couple of vocal fixes. Okay. Yeah, with what me, just one person, you know. Right. The and engineer. the engineer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was really, really fun. We, I yeah, did this a... with Cantor, Daniel Kramer, and John DiMartino, and a bunch of wonderful musicians. And, I, and you know, I, I, I wanted to do things like my Yiddish Mama, certainly, and, but I was not hip to a lot of this stuff. And I wanted to explore sort of the swing side of Yiddish, mm-hmm. like the Barry Sisters stuff. So we did Zugasmir Nochamol, and I was able to get my Barry sisters on. Mm. That's a fun recording. I was listening to some of it earlier. 
It really was great. I mean, the cantor really did the heavy lifting <laughs> as far <laughs> as the more traditional stuff. Right. Right. But um, and he was a great teacher for Yiddish, the Yiddish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and crying in my whiskey was um, a country jazz record. I was right. just, and I love, I love country music. I was, I mean, I've sung a little bit of it, but it's mm-hmm. really pop music. It's story oriented music, emotion oriented music. Right. And when was that recorded? Also during the pandemic? Yes. Yes. We we recorded it in two days. And. Um, then again, I think mixed remotely. Mm-hmm. But you all recorded your parts separately, or were you no, in the studio? No, no, no. We actually went in the studio with masks and um, isolation. Okay. And most of it was done live, right there. Oh, how fun! <laughs> yeah, it was awesome and emotional. You know, yeah. finally play with musicians. Jeez, what, but uh, when but last now year? I see now. Now I want to uh, go out and um, and tour this record and sing these songs again. You right. Know? This was uh, when do we? This is brand new. This record, "Crying in My Whiskey." Yeah. Did you record? What do you remember when you guys were in the studio last year? Uh, it was Off this chance. year. Just, or this? Oh, it was this year. Okay. Yeah, Early. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So you've had a lot to keep you busy. <laughs> Indeed I have. And my son got married during the pandemic. Well, congratulations. Um, on my roof in September. <laughs> so we had a wedding to plan, a pandemic wedding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I've been I've been a busy bee. <laughs> right. No moss growing. I would like to just sit on the couch and read. I would, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of musicians I've talked to said that it's, it's really made a difference this last year to have projects to work on, to have things to look forward to, to, you know, uh, recordings or events, and that the the musicians who really struggled were those who didn't get that quite figured out quickly, you know, didn't Agreed. have things to... Agreed, I think that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, you don't yeah. want to be reckless, but, um, <laughs> no. you know... But still, I mean, our industry fell apart. Our world completely fell apart. Right. I mean, even if I wanted to do gigs, there were no gigs. Yeah. Even if I wanted to travel. Couldn't travel. Couldn't travel. Yeah. Nobody nobody wanted Americans for a while. <laughs> because we were so stupid. <laughs> right. First time when it wasn't a... It wasn't an asset to have an American passport. That's for sure. Um, do you? What's your sense of like the resurgence? Like when when you know this fall or early next year? Are you hopeful? Like do you feel like yeah, it's gonna come back probably even stronger than before? Or do you have any sense of performing well, live? It's and gonna all come. That? It's gonna come back. I, I'm gonna be performing live in September. Awesome. If not sooner. Yeah. <laughs> right. If I can find a gig. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, the Manhattan Transfer is actually preparing a new record for our 50th anniversary. We have a lot of things planned. We have a documentary. Um, <clears throat> we have a box set, five CD box set that's coming out on Concord Records. 
um, oh. and uh, a 50th anniversary tour. So, which will will ramp up to. We're not. Yeah. I mean, after not singing together for over a year, we have to start slowly. I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of words and little black notes to remember. <laughs> Will you record new music for this 50th well, anniversary project? This this record is with the WDR Symphony okay. in uh, Cologne, Germany. And uh, it had to be done in stages. So st- stage one was recording our rhythm section here in New York. And I went to those sessions. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a Latin band right outside my window. Can you hear that? Barely, barely. Okay, good. <laughs> That's fine, though. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's New, York. New York. What can I tell you? Um, it used to be just ambulances in the beginning of the pandemic. That was unnerving <laughs> as well. Oh. But um, yeah. anyway, the first the first third of the project was the rhythm section recording. Uh, Ross Peterson on drums, uh, Boris Kozlov on bass, and Jeroen Gershovsky on piano. He's our MD. So I went to those sessions, and then we they sent those files over to Germany. The symphony went on, mm-hmm. and uh, the symphony finished, and now those files will be sent to California, where we'll do vocals in August. Okay. And are you producing, arranging? Um, I'm doing a couple of vo- two vocal arrangements, but we we've got some amazing arrangement arrangers on board. Um, Vince Mendoza, oh wow, uh, George Calandrelli, Jeroen Gershovsky did a couple. We have Amanda Taylor did uh, a vocal arrangement. Blake Morgan from Voce Zate did a, vo- a vocal arrangement. Alan's doing a couple of vocal arrangements. Um, uh, Rob Mounsey did one arrangement. So, awesome. yeah, it's it's sort of reimaginings of some of our tunes, our mm-hmm. past repertoire. So Fun. there'll be a new version of Twilight Zone. Oh. There'll be a new version of Chansons d'Amour. Okay. And some other surprises. Oh, awesome. Something to look forward to. For the Manhattan Transfer fans, that's that's really cool. Here's Janice singing Zuges Mir Nak Amul from the album Mazel. <laughs> Weil ich bin gern sehr her in die schöne Wette von dir. Sog es mir noch einmal, oh, oh, sog es mir noch einmal. Weil deine Reden, Weltfrieden, gibt mir Mut und Erschien. Ich fühl mein Herz es wachst, im Jahrzehnte von Kreuzfrei. Als ich hab de Leib, zieh ihr Herren in Sugas me na kamol, sugas me na kamol. Oh, 
you're a teacher, producer, arranger, <laughs> vocalist, is uh, is any one of those more more fulfilling, more compelling to you than the other, or are they all pretty much equal for you? Um, I like them all together. Mm-hmm. All together, they provide a delicious stew. <laughs> a satisfying creative stew. I mean, I love being a harmony singer. That yeah. is my... I love singing alto and being in the middle of the chord. I love yeah. arranging for vocals. I love producing other singers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love uh, solo singing and working with other people and learning new techniques and different styles of music. So there's that, and and teaching, I teach at NYU, Mm -hmm. Um, along with Lauren Kinnon, we work in tandem, and we have an ensemble called the Village Voices, and there we teach unsuspecting young singers (laughs) Manhattan Transfer Charts and New York Voices Charts, so we're perpetuating this fever. Right. (laughs) How many students are in that group, typically? This year we have this semester we have quite a few. We have thirteen singers. Mm-hmm. And it's and, a mixed group. And amazingly, there is no jazz vocal department really per se at NYU. <laughs> but that's okay because our our um, ensemble is is under the umbrella of contemporary music, which okay. really makes it great because we can do Paul Simon charts arrangements. We we're doing a piece called Caledonia. This semester, which is arranged by Blake Morgan of Voices 8, but it's a, like a folk song almost, a mm. folk pop song about Scotland. Uh, Caledonia was the Roman name for Scotland, actually. Okay. And just Fine. so we can do classical pieces, we can do pop, folk, and jazz. So right. it really, you know, that's fine with us. Do you teach uh, one-on-one students at all, or is it just the ensemble group? Occasionally. Yeah. Occasionally, I have... I used to have private students um, at the house here, mm-hmm. occasionally. And I, and I, I like to travel and do workshops, you know, <laughs> at, at other places. So, right. yeah, the Zoom thing, I mean, it's okay, <laughs> but it's yeah. hard. It's really yeah. hard. It's not the same. Because I like to work with a singer and an accompanist in the moment and say, hey, let's raise this two, uh, key, let's raise this uh, two steps, a step mm-hmm. and a half or whatever, and let's try it in a bossa nova feel, or let's let's uh, try you, uh, you know, I like to mix it up with the accompanist and the singer live. Right. And you just don't have that spontaneity with, no, with no. the Zoom thing. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, it's a drag. And it's really challenging, been challenging teaching kids to sing together as an ensemble when they're all at home <laughs> in their little boxes. And they've had classes in the little boxes all day. Right. How can they but even we're using sing a, together well, in that no, situation? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> we, use, we use a platform called Soundtrap. Soundtrap, and they okay. And they learn how to record themselves at home. Mm-hmm. And and be their own producer and edit their own, listen to their own part and learn to sing it alone. So that's a skill that's been honed in this pandemic. Right. 
Otherwise, when you're singing with other people live, you can lean on your partner a little bit. You know, you can, uh, yeah. Yeah. can hide a little bit. You can hide there. a little bit, but you cannot hide on Soundtrap. Um, how do you work? Do you work on, I'm sure you do, I'm, you work on intonation and pitch with these groups. Like, What sort of things do you get them to do to just be more in tune with each other? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's not uh, objective. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. <laughs> either you're you're in tune or you're not. <laughs> right, right. You know, actually, Lauren and I. It makes a lot of work for Lauren and I because we have to listen to everybody's stems almost every week on the new oh, that's piece. That's a lot. <laughs> and critique. I know, thirteen <laughs> kids, right? And give them very specific uh, critique with bar numbers. And here you're singing a little sharp. Please correct mm-hmm. it. Or, you know, you're you're singing the wrong word here. Or, uh, and you, you you need to listen to your tenor partners and see how you're pronouncing this word because it's not the same. Yeah. Right. And where this rhythm is off. You know, and we try and do listening sessions. You know, we, we did a Brazilian piece this semester of Agua Beber. So we had a whole session where we listened to Brazilian uh, music and we had Homero Lumbambo on, on in class and we've had we've had Marv Warren, we've had Chick Corea come in oh, to our class wow. before he passed because we were doing Open Your Eyes, You Can Fly. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had a lot of heavy duty people come in and and talk to our class. Oh, those are some lucky students. <laughs> yeah. To get those experiences. Um, when you're, when you're in the studio and you're produce, have you, I'm assuming you have, well, obviously you have produced, arranged and you're performing. Like, how do you, how do you juggle those three hats all at the same time? Or do you have to kind of switch? That's a very good question, an interesting question, because I've produced myself, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's the best scenario for me. <laughs> why, why is that? Um, because I want somebody objectively sitting in the booth and listening. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I want to be involved, completely immersed in the singing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to have to be listening to the band also and, you know, thinking about time and structure and, you know, all that. I want right. someone else to do that. I've done it, but, and as far as arranging, I, I like to arrange on the fly. Okay. So that's, that's never a problem. I, I, I love, I mean, to me, that's the most fun in the world is just making up parts and having an engineer there. You know, to push the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I've been doing it at home now. Yeah. This is how yeah. I do it. You, right. You're watching it. I, I sing. <laughs> I turn. I sing. Right. I turn. Right. <laughs> Using your software to record yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. It's pretty amazing how you can do that now. It is. It is amazing. And everybody's had gotten a big education in it this past year. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this is the great Quickly. thing about Vocal Gumbo, if I may go back to that. Yeah, go for this it. This show that we've created is that we've made it a worldwide uh, collaboration p- 
platform because we know where everybody is now. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody's on the road. Everyone's <laughs> at home. So we've had Diane Reeves. We've had Kurt Elling come on. Mm. We've done collaborations with Catherine Russell and with um, uh, Roberta Gambarini. And this, mm. this month it's, it's Cine Eag from Denmark. And we've done collaborations with people from from uh, Spain and France and Sweden and Hawaii and Japan and Brazil. And everyone just sends their stems to mm -hmm. each other digitally. And then you collaborate with them and you make, they record, they video themselves at home. You yeah. know, it's, it's a homegrown show. It's right. not slick or fancy, <laughs> but we've all been learning these these techniques yeah is there um you've collaborated with you talking about collaboration you've collaborated with just so many people is is there do you have a wish list still of people you you still want to collaborate with i want to sing with oscar de leon <laughs> for singers yeah bass player uh great singer great singer mm -hmm. um and who else? Renee Fleming. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Okay, can you arrange that, please? Okay, I'll see Steve. what I can do. <laughs> All right. I'll give her a call after this. Awesome. Hey, Renee. That's awesome. Um, what? Hang on. Just checking my notes here. I Oh, so I noticed... In one of your recent, I think it was a vocal gumbo, you had a shirt with Ganesh on it and you had some Buddhas and um, it makes me believe that there's a spiritual bent in your life. Uh, and I think I also heard that you you're a meditator. Is that right? Yes, yes. I mean, I, <clears throat> I started meditating um, when I got married. Uh, my husband, ex-husband, was a um, teacher of meditation. Mm -hmm. And I'll always be grateful to him for that, and also our son. Mm -hmm. um, and I started that, and it really helped through the child-rearing years, I must say, <laughs> to focus. Yeah. Uh, and I stopped for a while, and then I restarted when my mother passed away. Mm. And, a, and a dear friend said, we were hiking, and she said, do you want to stop for a minute and meditate while we're in this beautiful place? Mm. And I said, oh, okay. And he, she said, I use this app called Insight Timer. Yeah, that's a great app. Yeah. And so we did it, and I have, you know, I just started doing it again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Spiritual bent. Yeah, I believe that there's, that I certainly believe that the universe is made of energy, and um, there's, there are higher forces at work, maybe that we don't understand completely. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm being a musician. I'm certain you tap into that energy, performing, recording, yes, all of that. Yes, yes. And yoga has been a, just a godsend for me during this time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had done it before, but this has revitalized uh, my practice, certainly, and Honestly, I haven't had any back problems or anything oh, good since for you. I started doing yoga again. You know, I also I think what I, ha I haven't been traveling, right? So right. I'm not on planes on for hours and hours. So that helps helped too. But yeah, 
But just to take that hour in the morning and uh, stretching and relaxing and moving in a balanced way, mm-hmm. you know, is has been a, amazingly helpful during Do this you, time period. Yeah. Do you think you'll t- take that on the road with you when you guys go out on the road again? You'll take a oh, yoga absolutely. mat. Oh, and- <laughs> uh, well, you know, I've been doing yoga virtually. Okay. I I do yoga studio in California. So there's 7 a.m. classes, my 10 a.m. class, which is a little more reasonable. Reasonable, sure. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, you can do yoga anywhere, anytime. So that's another good thing about it. Right, right. Walking meditation, I you know when I'm traveling, I walk a lot. It's a great mm-hmm. way to see the really get inside the place you're at. Yeah. As well. Yeah. What are you um, What are you listening to these days? What What music do you find yourself drawn to? Well, lately, you know, whatever I'm working on for vocal gumbo usually is what I'm listening to. Mm-hmm. So, let's see what we got here. Right now, um, I'm collaborating along with Lauren with Roberta Gambarini, mm-hmm. and uh, for the next show, we also sang in Spanish with a singer from Cuba. Fun. So, uh, also, my Hikinchi Trio is doing a new piece, but it's in English. Yay! <laughs> so Nani had had the hard time this time. <laughs> ah. Because he had to sing Doing in English. The English. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but like, I just got my CD, a new CD player. So I was listening to a reimagining of West Side Story that I love that uh, my friend Bobby Sanabria created and produced. Oh, cool. It's a Latin version of West Side Story, duh. You know, it makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, it's right? so great. And it's a live recording, and I was actually at the show where it was recorded. It was recorded here in New York at Dizzy's, uh, Dizzy's Coca-Cola Club. Nice. And uh, I listen to, I make a playlist, and I listen to everything every day. I'm quite enamored at the current moment with an app called Radio Garden, where you can listen to any radio station in the world. Radio Garden. That's cool. Yep. So I'm I've been uh crazy about this station in Amsterdam called Radio Nostalgia. And they play seventy eights. They only play seventy eights. Wow. So I listen I've been listening to that. Yeah. Awesome. Um so you have we are very talked about some of the things coming up. In 2021, uh, with the Manhattan transfer and hopefully some gigs in September. Um, any any other any other big events planned for this year or next year? That uh, uh well, the transfer will be in the studio, and then yeah. um, we, we're we're technically back at work October December. Yeah. You know, there's gigs. Yeah. Um. Awesome. And I don't know what else is going to be revitalized. Yeah. You know, yet. So, I mean, it's going to be. I'm sort of cherishing, relishing these last few months at home here. 
I've never been, I'm sure you've heard this before, but I've never been home this long in my life. <laughs> yeah, everybody talks about it, and everybody has a different sense. Steve Smith, my last guest, said um, he's going to be very, very choosy about what he chooses to go on the road for now, because he's been, you know, similar to you since he was a teenager. He's pretty much been on the road nonstop, and um, this was the first time he had some space it's to be It's an awakening. Home. It's yeah. an awakening, really, to be home this long. And cooking every day, three right. meals a day. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I mean, I love it. It's making me really think about my one of my distant dreams of, of having a little restaurant, a little inn, mm -hmm. where there's music and food. And Vocal Gumbo, again, addresses those two themes, because yeah. Lauren's a cook as well. Awesome. And we talk about recipes some uh, sometimes and, and libations and mixology mm. and, you know. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. What do you, um, what do you tell your students uh, who, want, who, are, who want a career in music, who are determined to pursue? Do you have any words of wisdom or, or advice for them as they move towards that? Well, I don't like giving advice. And <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can tell them is don't give up. Yeah. <laughs> really. And just learn your craft. Yeah. Learn your craft. Get deep into it. And make sure it's your passion. Right. Because it's too hard, not <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> you know, the music business, I mean, it's completely changed from when I started. And now yeah. it's been destroyed, basically. Yeah. So how will it come back? I don't know. Right. Yeah. I've heard many people say that. They've said if if you don't have to be a musician, you shouldn't be because it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a good idea to have other skills. Well, it's always, that's always been the advice. Make sure you have a real job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, where can people find out more about you? Where's the best place for them to, to find you? Well, I do have a website, which I, I have, mm -hmm. <laughs> com. Then there's Vocal Gumbo is really what I'm doing in the moment mm -hmm. for now. Um, is that mostly and that's VocalGumbo.com. Okay. We have something, but if you, if you go to VocalGumbo.com, you can see some of the collaborations. We have some of the archives of past episodes. Uh, you can buy tickets. Mm -hmm. There, um, and there, there's information on on that site. Uh, also, the Manhattan Transfer page, fan mm -hmm. page on Facebook, tells you what we're up to, and um, my artist page on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So that's how you can find out what's going on. And you have a Patreon. Um, we have also. a Patreon campaign, yes, different levels of engagement, and we provide a lot of special events for our Patreon people, because we love them. Mm. Special coffee clutches and happy hours with guests. We had Raul Madan on the other night, and he played live, I mean, just great, and talked about his process of writing and, you know, construct, doing his, he did his vocal trumpet thing, it was mm. insane, really great <laughs> stuff. Um, Very cool. 
Yeah, we have we have swag. You can get vocal gumbo swag. So. Right. Are you on uh, Instagram and Twitter as well, or yes. just mainly? Okay. Yes. Thank you. All right. For asking. Yeah. Well, Janice, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Steve. Thank you for asking me. Hey, everybody. Just a couple of things before you take off. First, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate your support and ongoing listenership. It means a great deal to me. And if you enjoyed this episode, you should check out the episodes with Kate McGarry, Lila Bialy, and Sarah Gazarek. Those women are powerhouses in the music field, so creative and inspiring. And please visit the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find links to all past episodes, as well as show notes for this show and links to all people, places, and things discussed in the episode. Thanks again. Be safe out there, and I'll see you real soon.